Hi, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about school. Before we begin though, we just want to say that this is only a discussion. There are no right or wrong answers. These are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything. We are just two dudes talking. So Mick, I want to start this conversation off by talking about, okay, what is the scope? We're talking about school, but school can go from kindergarten, primary, high school, secondary, uh, university, TAFE, all of them. So I want to kind of limit the scope of the discussion a little bit. And you can tell me your feelings on this, but I want to limit it to, okay, the, I'm calling it compulsory, but I don't really like saying that you have to do it, but the part of, portion of schooling that we recommend everyone should do. So every human being should go through this schooling. So if we think about it in the current system, that's kind of like primary school, you kind of expect everyone to go through that. High school to a certain extent, maybe the first couple of years, but then after that, you kind of break off and do other things. So we're just focusing on the parts of schooling where, okay, everyone, we expect everyone to go through it. Although it's not necessary, like people can opt out if they want, because I don't want to control anyone and tell them they have to go to school. So you're happy if we kind of keep that the scope and focus of this conversation? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, so. Really, what we're focusing on is the development of, of young kids, really. So kids coming through, and probably part of that is going through uh, a portion of their teenage years as a, as a early adolescent. Yeah, and it may even be that in con- in talking about it, we realize that the age bracket maybe should shift. Maybe the the part of schooling that everyone goes through doesn't necessarily have to be when they're young. Maybe that's further on. Maybe when they're young, they're doing other stuff. Like who knows? That might just be part of the conversation. But what I want to focus on is okay. At the end, when at the end of this, everyone should have gone through the part of schooling that we're talking about, regardless of what age that occurs. Yep. Happy with that? Okay. So. There's kind of an implicit um, here that we think school should change <laughs> when we're talking about, okay, school and and we could focus on, okay, what does school do? What does school do now? But I'm sure between the two of us, we both think, okay, there are parts of school that we think should change. So in order or before we change anything, regardless of what we're doing, we should kind of look at, okay, what is the current state of things? So let's talk about first off, what is the current objective or purpose of school as we see it? Now, I should say here, both of us, it's been a long time since we've been in school. And like we said, we're focusing mainly on primary and secondary here, roughly. So it's been a while since I don't know, both of us have been there, about 10 years for me. I don't even want to ask <laughs> you. I'm not going to make you say that. <laughs> but yeah, we're just, it's been a while. So we may be a little bit off when just inferring from experience. But Mick, what is your... Uh, what do you feel that the current objective or purpose of school is? Yeah, it's a good question. So to give some context, I guess I, I uh, finished up primary school in the early 90s and finished up high school in the late 90s, I guess. So it's probably been a good 20 years since I've actually been to school. But um, I think back then and probably hasn't changed much now, It's uh, I think the idea is to make you a productive member of society. Um, and I think uh, the heavy focus of that is for you to get some kind of job at the end of, of your, um, your uh, you know, formal education, uh, wherever that ends up being. So whether you go up to, I think you have to go to year 12 now for an apprenticeship, 
or traineeship. So whether you finish there and, and go into apprenticeship or traineeship or you continue uh, through to university and then um, and then go into some kind of uh, uh, what they would qualify as a professional uh, job. But, um, yeah, I think it's the focus for me had always been on, uh, yeah, what, what kind of job um, you're going to get after being educated, I guess. So. so when you went to school, you felt that, okay, this is preparing me to get a job afterwards? Yeah, yeah, I remember as early, I think it started in early high school, the the idea of jobs and I remember them sort of educating us about different careers. Funny enough, back then I wanted to be a uh, a, pilot, a, fire, uh, um, a pilot in the Air Force kind of thing. So um, that had totally changed. But I do remember from an early age going in high school of, yeah, the focus was on thinking about where you're going to be as, a, as an adult, what profession you're going to have, and then uh, the way in which school, uh, you did school shaped, um, sort of shaped, uh, or they shaped school to teach you into into that profession, I guess. Uh, the further you get through, you start to sort of narrow the fields down in order to sort of get those qualifications, considered to be qualifications for those, those type of jobs, I guess. I think my perspective is a little bit more cynical. <laughs> like I, I do like that and that was always kind of the thought. I mean, you'd have those days where you'd go and talk to someone, okay, what do you want to do in life? How can we get you to that? But like I said, this is kind of talking about, okay, the portion of school where everyone should have gone through. And to me, there's that part of schooling that everyone is going through is to ensure that we all have a kind of certain level of understanding of things. Like language, for example, that every... Uh, person in society can speak the predominant language of that society mathematics so that everyone can add subtract multiply divide like the purpose of school from my perspective is just that just that idea that okay by the end of this everyone's gone through it everyone will have some minimum level of knowledge slash understanding whatever however you want to um, call it and then yeah we can uh fit them into society knowing that they've got that. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it's it's probably a little bit similar, but I'm guess I'm I'm looking at what the end result is, but you're right. Um schools to try and get everyone to a s- certain level of uh, understanding that can have some kind of level of consensus between everyone. So, like you said, everyone has some level of uh knowledge about maths of being able to add and subtract or you know, understanding how to spell words and put them together to construct sentences or paragraphs and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I think at that point it's to get everyone on the same level of uh, certain aspects of knowledge, I guess. Mm. I've got here standardising humans. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you see that as cynical? Yeah, I was going to ask. So why do you see that as being a cynical outcome? Yeah, I guess it depends on your perspective because to to me it it feels controlling. Like it, it, it... it's actually, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. It doesn't really, there is no uh, direction to it. It's just that, yeah, we're trying to ensure that there's some similarity between all the people who have gone through it, which is a perfectly fine thing to do. I mean, I'm going to recommend that when I say what I think the purpose of school should be. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yours just seems a bit more optimistic. It's like, oh, we're leading you to some further thing where it's like, we're just getting you to a point And then from that, you're moving. I don't know, just that's the way it feels to me. I can't really no, that's fair enough. Yeah, put it yeah. into words. The other thing I think school does is that it helps us order uh, and and like order the students based off of this may be, you know, it's up to you what you think the, um, whether you think it's important or not, but 
certain criteria, like you'll do mathematics and you'll rank students based on how well they can do maths or language or whatever it is. So certain um, cognitive abilities, usually we rank uh, human beings or students on. Yeah, so maybe that that is true. So basically a school is a way of actually sort of ranking people uh, uh, so that when they actually become an adult, they I guess they sit appropriately in some kind of hierarchy. I guess you could see it from that light some, somewhat, yeah. The, like when you do tests at school, they always give you the, the score, you know, out of 100 how many you got right. And it was always – it felt like, you know, if you did worse or if you got like a 60 out of 100 or whatever, you know, you might be made fun of. But the test itself is just, okay, we're trying to find out where the average of people are and then order them. You could make a test in such a way that the the spread is more closer and so people might not feel as demeaning demeaned by the score by having a lower score. It just It's just showing you, okay, this is an ordering, but it doesn't necessarily say too much about you or your capabilities. I don't know. It's just uh, that was always a weird feeling that I had when doing tests in school. It's like you you it suggests that these people are lesser in some way. But that's not necessarily true. You're just ranking them on, on this very specific uh, thing. Now, it, it's easy for me to, to say that because I generally did pretty good at those tests. But still, I felt that, uh, you know, this this feels wrong to say that, oh, because someone got a higher score on this test, they're a better human being or they're better at something. It's like, no, it's very narrow what you're actually measuring. Yeah, it's funny. Tests are a funny thing. I don't know if they're very good. I think they're an easy way to uh, to assume of assume what someone's learned, but it's not necessarily the case. Like, say, I think at times I've often struggled with certain tests because I don't actually understand the question. So the question to me is so open that it's like I want to ask them more questions from that to figure out exactly why or what they're doing. And so that had always struggled me a little bit and sometimes I completely misunderstood what they're after and so you go down a different tangent. So that's a, like a clear case of like uh, like you said, I could have actually scored low but actually if they gave me something practically to do, I could have showed them how to do it uh, even if, if it was about the same level of knowledge but I really didn't understand what they were actually looking – that individual was looking for when they were evalu- evaluating me. Um, so yeah, I guess whenever you do an evaluation of people, uh, you can't remove that, uh, some level of subjectivity by the person, uh, by the person or the system evaluating you. So it's taking it from a particular perspective, I guess. That's a really good point that being good on a test doesn't prove anything except that you're good on a test. Like there are a lot of circumstances where, you know, you might be great on a test. You may understand how an engine works in a car, right? And you can write it all out on a piece of paper. But then you go to actually repair a car and you don't know the first thing about where to start and what's going on how to, you know, solve the problem. Yeah, well, I think I got better at tests because I realised um, two things. The first one is that they just want me to regurgitate the information that they uh, wanted me to learn. And then the second one was that <clears throat> once I realised I needed to uh, understand the evaluator's perspective, so whether that be the teacher or whatever, um, it made it a lot easier for me to then do the test because I understand. So like, um, you know, <clears throat> they, some classes will actually sort of run you through drills of doing the uh, doing practice tests and I can actually, to be honest with you, you can go through a whole unit or a whole, whole, whole topic, I guess, a subject and then um, 
and it almost feels that sometimes you can actually just rock up for that last week and be able to figure out what it is they're actually after you to put on the test and then basically you just go there and regurgitate that. So to me it was like learning how to actually regurgitate information to someone else. It wasn't actually uh, – uh, it didn't actually feel like it was uh, measuring what I actually un- – I guess it's it's trying to but it didn't because I took a like a, a different way of – uh, filling the test out. Yeah, it's a, it's a really strange one, um, a way people measure you through tests. Yeah, I, you I took find. a different approach. Like they're expecting that throughout the semester you've learned this stuff and you're just, you know, going and filling it out. But actually what you did is the last week <laughs> you just learned it. I mean, I completely agree with you. That's the main thing that te- tests taught me or exams or whatever it is, is that how to learn uh, some knowledge in a very short period of time, remember it and hold on to that for, you know, a day or two and then just completely forget it. Like most of my assessments throughout school was that. It's like the last two days before a test, okay, read over those practice exams, like you said, those practice assessments, like you said, and then just remember those and then just regurgitate it back and then just completely forget about it, which is pretty much a waste of time really now that I think back on it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a funny kind of system. And I guess, yeah, it didn't really um, – I guess it took me a while to understand. Like at the beginning you're sort of trying to – I remember doing a physics course when I was first doing physics in uni actually and uh, it was like the first uh, unit I kind of did and I, I wrote down all the notes and I spent a lot of time actually trying to learn that unit. And I it was one of my lower scores actually – and I think what I did is because I fed myself so much information when it came to the test, uh, it was hard for me to pull on the uh, very uh, specific factors that the actual um, test wanted. So what I realised in the future is I could actually reduce my workload by just understanding sort of reverse engineering. So look at what is it that they want, then figure out just those elements, forget everything else, and then focus on that in order to, to nail the test. So, uh, yeah, yeah. They're very counterintuitive. And like I, I agree with you. There were definite subjects where I wanted to learn the material, but I knew the tests were like focusing on specific things. So I had to just concentrate on those specific things, even though, you know, they may not actually be that important in the future. And you want to actually get a good grasp of the whole uh, unit, the whole syllabus. But yeah, it's kind of the way it's set up is so that you focus on these specific things for a short period of time, regurgitate that and then move on. Okay, we sort of covered what we think the um, current objective or purpose of school is. You were saying before we started that we should look at the difference in society or the world from like when schooling was first introduced to now and how much schooling has changed or the lack of change, you know, relative to the change in society. Do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so just from my perspective, I mean, I'm no historian, but I kind of feel that school was originally, I mean, if you think back uh, maybe maybe a couple of centuries ago, how school uh, sort of first started or wherever it first started, I guess originally it was about, you know, it was almost probably a prestige thing, so everyone probably didn't get to go to school and those people that went to school were those that acquired, high, I guess, high-level knowledge and certain elements. Uh, I think it was about transferring knowledge, I guess, is 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 probably where its main purpose was. But then um, access to knowledge was always difficult. So you can imagine, uh, you know, going to try and find, 
you know, something in history, you'd have to actually go to the library, find the book, read the book, or maybe read a few books in order to, to gain the knowledge. And actually physically doing that task took, took time and it took access. So maybe not everyone had access to libraries or, or written uh, records of, of knowledge and all the rest of it. And as times change, we've, we've all become today, I've got all that knowledge in my pocket on a phone. And so I think um, back then the, the uh, I guess, the evaluation of knowledge was at a much greater level because bef- there was more effort in actually getting the knowledge out. So if you had to get the knowledge out, you'd have to, you know, write a book, you'd probably get it, uh, you know, the publisher to audit it and, or not audit it, to review it and things like this. So I think there was more scrutiny about the information that actually came out. But today um, everyone can place some form of information online um, you know, whether that be a photo of an event or something something tangible like that or whether it's, um, you know, trying to discern information through other people's written work and all the rest of it. Um, so I think now that there's a significant uh, improvement in our access to knowledge, it doesn't – we're walking away from one person sort of teaching them a set of knowledge and then that gets them through their professional career through life or whatever they're – their value is in life to now that you just need to keep learning almost. Um, so what I, you know, what I do today in work will definitely change in the next five or 10 years. And so it's incumbent on me to try and keep up to date. Um, I don't think that was as prevalent in the past. So I think discerning information, there's, it's almost like school needs to be at a high level. It's not actually transferring the knowledge. It's teaching you how to assess knowledge and being able to uh, validate it and, and discern information and all the rest of it. So I think that because our access to information has changed, the environment's changed so much that it makes the sort of like the traditional model of school uh, a little bit obsolete. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that is a big part of what schooling originally was, is that it was difficult to access that knowledge. I mean, we've talked about in the past, you'd have, you know, what do you call them, encyclopedias, like books filled with stuff and they barely cover anything if you compare it to like Wikipedia on the internet today and that's just like a single source of a repository of knowledge now. You've got access to a whole lot more. So I think, yeah, that's a really good point and I agree with you there that part of getting through school is less about transferring knowledge to people. It's more about teaching people to access knowledge, to discern knowledge. That's one of the big problems I feel like we've got today is that it's so easy to get access to information, to knowledge that you don't, and there is very little validation depending on where you go for that. And even in the places where there is a lot of validation, there's also biases and and other things that go on that corrupt it. For example, like the research papers, you'd think that would be a really high, what would you call it? High quality, high consensus type stuff that it would be good knowledge, like you could rely on it. But there's also a lot of games that go on there and a lot of uh, manipulation based on incentive structures within universities and that. So, yeah, discerning information, discerning knowledge is a big part of, I think, what should be taught in school. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. I think it's, um, you know, I think looking around the world today, it's very easy to manipulate people. Um and uh, learning uh, those forms of manipulation and understanding how to uh, kind of discern or protect yourself from that kind of um, having certain processes in place to uh, alleviate that risk of you acquiring knowledge, uh, bad knowledge or 
uh, manipulate, I guess, some form of manipulated knowledge and, and things like that is, is definitely important to navigate in the world today because, you know, I think there is a bit of an issue with, uh, it's almost like, I mean, this is overly said, but it is like an information wars. It is like whoever can actually control the narrative has control, has, has some level of power over people. And so understanding how people control narratives is very important to discern what information is important to you and what is actually trying to manipulate you or to take you in the, in the wrong direction, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, there's many ways that like we use the, the term manipulation that people are manipulating one another. And that's, it suggests that we are possibly foolish that we can be manipulated, but it's not necessarily that. It is that we have these um, biological uh psychological things that uh we can't really overcome like we we can't take in the amount of knowledge that is coming at us but the other point and, and the one that i'm more um want to highlight is that we can be manipulated because generally i think people see the best in others so they don't think they don't you know their first assumption isn't someone is trying to manipulate me their first assumption is oh this person's you know trying to help me out so i think that in itself uh leaves us open to that manipulation to being taken control of but i wouldn't want to get rid of that because i think that's a great part about being human is that we you know have that trust of others that we want to believe in the best of people so yeah i just wanted to put that out there i agree and i i, I probably say manipulation i don't I, I i'll try and remove uh partially the negative connotation around it because there can be manipulations which is purposely done, done on purpose and then there's manipulation which isn't actually done on purpose. It's almost like a, a form of Chinese whispers where the individual picks up information, um, it's the first time they've heard information, it seems to make sense to them, it's really revolutionary to them if that, that information is true and so there's an emotional excitement to that, they want to tell others, they share that knowledge and what they haven't realised is maybe they haven't validated it properly, they haven't gone through the rigorous process, and as they share it with someone else, that person can go through the same process as the initial person of like, oh, well, that's crazy, and then they tell, you know, eight other friends. So, that you know, people doing that, I don't think do it on purpose, but it's just that they uh, don't do the – maybe they don't know or they don't do the work of doing rigorous uh, checks of the knowledge in which they're gaining before they, um, you know – yeah, set their hearts on it or maybe maybe tell each other, other people with a great level of certainty and things like that. And just in case anyone listening is, uh, I just want to clear it up because you called it Chinese whispers, What in case that offends someone, oh. sorry. What you mean is like the game of telephone where it's like you spread information to someone and by the time it gets to the nth person, like the the, the disparity between what was originally said and what they heard is just like, astronomical like you can't even go off of that information anymore because it's completely wrong yeah so thank you for correcting me uh, you can tell my age from what, I, what some of the terms i use so yeah i don't even know why it's called chinese whispers to be honest but yeah there was no intent but rather the a label to use you know to be able to describe something a process i guess yeah, yeah. no i understand that it's just you know you want to clear it up some people can't see past the uh, language that we use to actual intent so want to make that as clear as possible when we can all right, so let's address directly now. What do we think the objective slash purpose of school should be? So my thought process for this, before I get to what my opinions actually are, was to think, okay, well, everyone's got to go through this. So everyone's going to have the same experience. Well, then 
what is it that every human being wants? And then what does every human being have in common? Because we're all going through this. We want to make it as, as uh, applicable to each individual as possible. So I think they're the first things to consider for me. My answers to these were what is, what is it that every being wants, human being wants? I think it's just to get the most out of life or to realize their full potential. And it sounds a bit hokey and I know we've done it in other topics that you know realizing your full potential is kind of the objective of life. But I, I do think that um, it is. And when you understand what that means, it's less, less hokey, less ethereal and more practical than uh, we may give it credit for. And then the other thing, what does every human being have in common? I have we, meaning us as individuals, are at the root of everything we do. So what I mean by that is throughout life, no matter what we do, we are going to be there because, you know, <laughs> it's all from our perspective. It's all, it's all we're there to experience it. So that should be taken into account when we're thinking about, okay, what should we be doing as part of school? Now, before I get to my opinions, do you want to say anything? Uh, yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, quite good. So I think like the first part, you know, that self-realisation, uh, uh, you know, you're reaching your full potential. I think the reason why we we try to strive to that is that each each of us, I guess, as humans uh, want to see our purpose in life. And it's usually uh, it's usually through some sort of social contribution to our to our, you know, so peers or group or tribe or however you want to describe it. So you know, that, that that I think is definitely what people strive towards is what am I good at, what can I actually bring to the world and help people with. And I think that that's sort of like that second part to realise that you are part of the world and you can contribute something. And so what is it that you can contribute? And so if you can focus on on that internally, then you're probably going to get the, the best out of self, out of yourself. And when you get the best out of yourself, I think society gets the best out of you. So... I think when you, and the reason I say that the, the purpose of life is to realize your full potential is because I think that is when you have a feeling that's, oh, this is a good feeling that I want more of, it's because you've reached your potential. That is what's giving you that feeling. I mean, this is just from my perspective and thinking about it and what it actually means. Like, what does it mean when you feel good about something? Why is it that you feel good about it? And not necessarily just in the moment that you feel good about it over time because you might do something now that you feel good about but in a week's time you feel bad about it like you manage to manipulate again or control someone to get them to do something which you feel good about now because it gives you some kind of physical uh you know elation but then in a week's time you think oh i didn't feel good about that i feel bad about that so it's because you've 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 what, what do they call what's the word you've um you cut off your nose despite your face something like that. i can't remember the exact saying but it's like you haven't seen the forest for the trees you've just you know been very short-sighted and haven't realized the consequences of those actions there but in time you will realize the consequences so i think the when we get those feelings to tell us this is good i want more of this feeling it's because we've reached our potential that's very general that's very abstract but i think that's a good starting point yeah i agree i guess like through life you're trying to you know it's it's really hard because you're being pulled and pushed in all different directions you're trying to uh, balance what you want out of life as opposed to what other people want out of life. And I guess, yeah, just just focusing on, like you said, that that time in which 
there's some kind of intuition that says to you that uh, this is this is uh, there's something in this that's uh, what I want. And I, I guess if you get that feeling, that's a you want to try and um, uh, narrow down or focus on that feeling because that's really your authentic self as well. There's this intuitive drive, and we don't know why. So, like a musician might have an intuitive drive, or if or a sports star might have an intuitive drive. For me. I have an intuitive drive to solve problems. I can't tell you why that's the case. I was just born that way. You know, ever since a kid, I'd try and fix things or, you know, make things or whatever. So um, I think when you you find that that feeling, it's to recognise that that is uh, part of your authentic self and to try and keep that in the barrage of the world around you is uh, probably a really important thing to try and do. Yeah, very well put. I think once you find that, that thing that gives you that feeling of, oh, I want more of this. I want to do this better. That's what you should stick with and you should give it your all. One of the things is that when you don't give it your all, when you when you just half-ass something, that's when we usually feel lousy about it. It's like it doesn't matter what it is or what you're doing. If you give it your all, you'll feel better about it. And then the, the, the perfect scenario for me is that you find something that interests you and you give it your all and then you get the greatest feeling. Like you can find and be doing something that you're totally disinterested in but if you're giving it your all, you still get a feeling of satisfaction from it. But if you find something that you're interested in, that you're giving it your all, that's like to me how you get the best feelings out of life. Yeah, you're right. I wonder if it's like uh, there's a level of efficiency between uh, what it is that you're actually uh, really uh, desire as opposed to something that you just have to have to do. Um, so I would imagine that, yeah, when when you feel that level of desire and that intrigue and, and curiosity about that that field or whatever it is that you're doing, uh, that's probably where you're most efficient with your energy. You know, you're, you're most motivated. So you're going to get the greatest level of output. And so that's the kind of mindset which is going to make you um, very valuable. But if you're, like you said, if you're doing something that you're not very interested in, there is the there's the lack of motivation, which decreases the level of energies, which impacts the outputs. And um, it might not be obvious, but yeah, you, you might be less productive than you could be. A little bit of a tangent. To me, I see motivation as a reduction in effort. So if you're motivated to do something, it takes less effort out of you to actually do it. Whereas if you're unmotivated to do something, you can still do it. It's just going to take you more effort. So that's why, like you said, if you can find that thing where the motivation is inherent or is natural, you don't have to think about it. Like for, I use the example of eating, like no one has to tell you to eat. You just feel hungry. You're motivated to do it. And so it takes little effort to actually go and find food, but it takes a little bit more effort. Say if you're working in a cluttered environment to say, what is the benefit of me getting up, cleaning up this environment and then getting back to work? You have to actually find the motivation in there. Oh, because if I clean up everything, it's going to make it, you know, less of a um, impact on my mental processing and I'll be able to concentrate more on what I'm doing. Like there's various, various other things that are a benefit for it, but you have to do the work to figure out the motivation that it's not necessarily as apparent. Actually, yeah. When you said it, it makes more sense to say that, yes, it takes less effort rather than you gaining more energy from motivation. So, yes, I would say that if there's something that uh, is not your authentic self, there's a certain level more effort that needs to overcome in the thought process that you might put through or the physical process that you might put through that you otherwise might not when you're motivated by that by that uh, by that task or whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I tend to see that the effort or willpower, I call it, when I'm talking about effort, you have a limited supply. So you can max that out and then you just have to reduce the cost of 
performing actions through various means. But I've written a piece on that if anyone wants to further information about it. Getting back to a bit more tangibly, what do we think the actual objective slash purpose of school is? For myself, the first thing I want to say is that I think the purpose of school should be to develop the skills that help us get the most out of life. So to help realize our full potential. Anything to say to that point? Yeah, I would agree. I would, uh, and I guess part of that is that you're, you know, for me, that it's the level of, you get to a point in which you become, you know, almost completely independent so that you're able to be able to do the things in life without the, without necessarily having the support of others um, and doing that, I guess, confidently. Yeah. My next one is to be prepared for the future, keeping in mind that the future is unknown. So this should really be preparing us to handle anything. And I think this comes back to we are at the root of everything we do, which leads to my next point that, and this is what I, the main focus I think should be on school, at least the part that we recommend every human being should go through is that we learn to master ourselves. We learn, you know, about our bodies. We learn about our emotions. We learn about ourselves as much as possible so that we can be the best, do the most, be the most efficient at anything that we do in life so that we are most prepared. Because like I said, no matter what we do in life, we are going to be there. You know, we may not be the center of the universe, but we are all the center of our own lives. So might want to make that center as strong as possible. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's about basically getting, yeah. I think that really everything you said there kind of aligns to, I think it is that, that, that level of independence and the confidence to use that independence. So, I mean, you could be, you could actually be independent, but not have the confidence to uh, go and go and be independent um, or, or vice versa. You could be really confident, but confident, but you, <laughs> you might not be, have the skills to be independent. So I think those two really, yeah, they, they are the, 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 tool, uh, the key factors to get you to sort of self-realization, I guess, or the tools. So you're saying that uh, in your mind you see that mastery of self as equivalent to being independent, that that's when you stop relying on other people and you can fully rely on yourselves? Yeah, I, I would say so, yeah. And that you, I mean, and that you've got the confidence to do that too. So like, yeah, yeah, so that you can go out and approach the world and, you know, if you fail, you're not you're not going to be a mess. You're able to pull yourself up and and review and take stock and figure out ways to to do it without actually having to. I mean, it's always good to have the support around you, but um, you should be able to go through that process yourself at some level, and then obviously you can get the support of others. But it really starts with the you, like you said. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of additional things, and then I'll maybe I'll uh, let you say if you've got any uh, opinion about what the objective or purpose of school should be. A couple of additional things that this is just like stretch goals. I mean, to me, once we focus on mastering ourselves, once we've got that down, it's like, okay, here are a couple of additional things that I think would be beneficial to all of us, but we don't necessarily have to cover them as part of that, uh, again, compulsory part of school or that recommended part of schooling. The first one I've got is discovering our aptitude. So this kind of goes back to what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? as I think that should be an additional part of schooling. And then on top of that, discovering what it is we desire or what it is we want. So we may be good at something, but we may not actually really want to do that. Like you may be natural at playing tennis, but actually you want to play soccer. <laughs> so 
I think both of those, knowing both of those is good. Knowing what we're good at is is beneficial because then we can always fall back on that if we have to. But then also knowing what we want and chasing after that, I think is beneficial because that will probably give us that motivation and make things a bit more effortless. So what do you think about those? Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's really, it is really important to understand the difference between what you're good at and what you're motivated by because, yeah, I, I, I guess there's a lot of people through life that actually um, get brought up and they might be really good at something and everyone around them encourages them to do it. And so then they feel the need to actually follow through on that um, even though it's not their natural desire or natural or it's really not their authentic self. But, uh, yeah, people, I, I think that's important to understand the difference between, between the two so that people that are actually naturally good at something they're not motivated by, um, I guess, don't get stuck with um, sort of following what others perceive their, their value is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a level of satisfaction that we get by doing stuff that we are good at. But it's always to, like you said, it's just not being pigeonholed into that. Just because you are good at doing something doesn't mean you can't go off and do something else. And there's more than enough human beings on the planet that we can cover all our bases in terms of keeping everyone alive. Like you don't have to, oh, you're good at farming, so you're going to have to go and be a farmer. It's like, no, we've got a little bit of leeway there. You can go and do something else. At least, I mean, if that's the goal of society, which we can probably talk about another time. But uh, yeah, so in terms of, objective purpose of school do you have anything else you want to add are you happy with those those points yeah i think that makes uh yeah it makes complete sense to me to yeah get get the person to i guess at the moment what we're saying is like try and get them as to their authentic self and try and make them as independent as possible and probably um you know after some level of ability to regulate their confidence too so all right i think the natural progression here is to talk about while if we're aiming for mastery of self we're aiming for independence if we're aiming for authentic being um what what makes that up <laughs> do you feel that that's a good direction to go in yeah as I part got, of the conversation yeah i think so and and thinking so uh, are you talking about what are the um i guess what is it that would happen at school in order for you to to try and achieve this yeah, so what is it we're trying to teach the students? So a bit more tangible and I'll give you some examples. But once again, I just want to go over why I think it's important to learn to be independent, to learn how to master ourselves. Once again, that we are at the root of everything we do in life. So you want to make sure that that foundation is as strong as possible. For So I'm bad at examples, but hopefully... <laughs> This one will uh, help a little bit. For example, if you are playing tennis and you you improve your serve, right? That skill in itself doesn't really transfer to much else in life. But if you improve your ability to focus on what you're doing, that will help you with everything you do in life, including being able to serve a tennis ball because you'll be able to better focus. So it's like you can concentrate on those specific things that you want to do, but that's later on. First off, I think we should concentrate on the skills that help us improve ourselves, that help us level up. I'd, I'd completely agree with that. I think that I almost think that primary school should be set on some fundamental ways about how you should go about uh, getting the best out of yourself when you live. So like, uh, yeah, not looking at 
all the individual details. So maybe maybe you still do a little bit of sort of work around learning how to spell and English and, and maths and all the rest of it. But I would reduce that a lot. I think you're right. It's it, A lot of it's about how do you actually have some, I guess, I don't know if it all falls under this umbrella, but it's like learning your self-control. It's like learning how to, it's actually almost like learning how to operate yourself. Uh, you know, so like there's certain things that you need or there's certain things that are going to put you in a much better position in order for you to get the best outcomes. So it's learning, okay, what does me as a person, me as a human, what is it that I actually need as a human? And uh, what what are the uh, range of states that I'm going to go through and how do I get the best out of myself knowing that, that having that knowledge, like, um, you know, like have knowing that I've got to get good health, so good food into my body or doing good exercise, um, you know, I guess these are all important in order to get the best out of yourself to begin with and that sets you, I think that sets you up to put yourself in the best position to be able to learn things. So I guess, you know, to get into a state of learning, there's a lot of things which the conditions which you needed to meet in order to get the best out of that state. So I guess when you put kids in a classroom, they're all you're all trying to learn something, but I guess each student could be at a very different level of state. And I think by understanding how to control that state and, and uh, getting the best of yourself will, will put you in the best position to learn. So it's almost like, yeah, <laughs> learning how to operate yourself at, at, at an earlier age. 100% and well put. That's, that's kind of what I mean when I say that the objective should be to mastery of self is to understand, okay, what what needs do I need, should I take care of in order for me to be like most, put my energy in whatever it is I desire? Because we have those physiological needs that will always be vying for our attention. And if we aren't meeting them, if we aren't fulfilling them satisfactorily, they'll always be pulling us away from what it is we want to be doing. So yeah, what is it in terms of like diet, exercise, intellectual stimulation, even spiritual stimulation, like all this stuff, how much of it do we need? What is best for us? And let's let's take care of that first and then at that point it's like okay we're, we're all good we're 100 percent. now we get to choose what we do next we get to choose where we put the rest of our focus and attention yeah i think so and i think also like um you know the way in which we so i guess when you when you go to school to learn something the whole and i don't think the whole period of time is you've obviously got breaks throughout that in order for you to not always be learning but part of that is to actually get into the learning state, take advantage of that learning state and then uh, sort of decompress or debrief from that learning state and learning the actions before and after the learning state is probably quite valuable in order to, okay, how do I get my body to the point at which I can sit down and now really focus on this thing and get the best out of it? And then what's my limitation before I have to then, uh, okay, debrief and do some other things that actually help uh, the brain absorb that information as well and I think that that you know often forgotten I, I don't know what schools are like now but from memory it's sort of like you have the assembly you've got two hours of learning you go out far what is it 15 or half an hour you got another two hours of learning you go out for lunch you got another two hours of learning now obviously the breaks are, I think there is some uh, uh, realization from that pattern that you need breaks in between learning but when they're going out and doing uh, those breaks, uh, 
what is each student doing? So is one student just sitting down and another student's going out and, and expending their energy in, in physical sport or, you know, whatever? And then those different elements might bring uh, different states back into the classroom. So taking advantage of uh, those breaks, maybe, you know, you do have the breaks, but then the two hours in the morning aren't really spent learning. They're spent, you know, going through exercise regimes or, or, or breathing or, you know, uh, certain other tasks, I guess. Yeah, I, I was going to say something and I lost it. So that's why there was that pause there. But I completely agree with you. I wonder, I really wonder what, if any, consideration was made when putting together the structure for school, like you said, two hours, 15 minutes, two hours, hour, whatever it is. Was there any consideration taken to how our mind like works? Like, for example, I know that the earlier you, the earlier parts of your day, I say earlier, but what I mean is after waking up. So like if you, your schedule's all screwed up, then this may occur at a different time of the day. But for generally, if you're following like the sun, you'll sleep at night, you wake up in the morning, then those early few hours of the day, you will have more ability to focus and concentrate on things. So that's when you want to be doing more like logical, rigid stuff. And then after that, you slowly throughout the day lose the ability to focus or it becomes harder and more difficult to focus. So that's when it's better to do more creative stuff. So it's like, first of all, were those time periods, the two hours, 15 minutes, taking that into consideration? Second of all, are the subjects you're doing in those time periods taking that into consideration? Like later in the day, you should be doing more creative stuff like drama or music, whereas earlier in the day, you're probably better at mathematics, possibly language. I'm not sure where that would fit exactly. But yeah, how much of that was actually taken into consideration? Yeah, and, and how often do we actually go and review that too? So like, uh, yeah, that might have been taken consideration in the 1960s or 70s. I don't know when I'm just sort of randomly pulling a number. But I guess, you know, it's not it's not set and forget. It's like it's you've got to continually to iterate. So what we learn about people has got to be then thought about how that schedule runs. And so I, I would say that we definitely know, particularly in the last, uh, I mean, I guess it's always from my perspective of living, but it feels like the last 20 years we've gained a lot of knowledge about mental health. Um, and I think uh, having that applied to school and uh, not for when you just get sick, I guess, would be of, of great value. That, that's not to say that I don't think it tries to be a tent, but probably the systems are very slow for change. Um, uh, but the world and the environment around us is changing at a rapid rate. So I guess the... Yeah, the system's not keeping up with uh, the evolution of, of us as humans, I guess. Yeah, I think so. The the system, the environment, the, just our understanding about our knowledge, um, our understanding of neuroscience and how we think and how we learn, like has that been factored into how we do schooling? Doubtful <laughs> from my perspective. One thing I want to come back to, you said uh, it may be beneficial to do like language and math as part of, you know, teaching someone how to get the most out of themselves to master themselves to become independent to me i go to the point of most likely that will be a part of it but i think it's a consequence of aiming for that mastery of self i think that when we look at okay we want people to be the best version we want people to understand themselves be able to work at the most effectiveness i think language mathematics some other things will just naturally come from that um, endeavor 
Yeah, I kind of think that you can. Uh, I think we talked about this in the in the past. I think you sort of couple them together, and I kind of wonder. I had been thinking about this recently. Wonder they all kind of they kind of fit under a category of communication. So like. You would never have thought, like, if, if someone uh, in high school told me that uh, mathematics is communication, I would have laughed at them because I didn't really have that perspective. But the reality is that's actually what it is. It's a form of us to communicate in a particular language in order to get physical outcomes in, in the world around us. And I guess if it's taught from that perspective, then you see the value. So why is it I'm learning maths? Well, I'm learning maths in order to communicate a solution to you. Why is it I'm learning English? I'm learning English to maybe communicate my feelings to you or I'll write a song or whatever or maybe it's to do a report. So thinking about, you know, those traditional seg- subjects about how, you know, even art, like when you draw art, that's a that's a form of communication. So maybe, you know, those traditional subjects sort of fit under this umbrella that you the reason why you, you, you're creating this is not only for you to be able to uh, explore your own thoughts but – generally these are how we actually communicate to each other um, about certain, uh, you know, the value that other people bring. Um, so I think if you set it from that context and you did those other, those other um, you know, change the other aspects of the curriculum, uh, yeah, you'd probably get a, a bit more greater understanding about uh, why people are doing that. And there's probably a greater level of purpose to then go on ahead and learn that, I guess, too. So Yeah, completely agree. I mean talking a bit more tangible about okay what should we teach students then for them to be able to get the most out of life to get the most out of themselves i think one of the big things is interpreting our feelings like i love i love that you put it like pretty much everything is just communication language math art it's just all a way for us to communicate what we feel inside and i think it starts with okay first you have to yourself be able to say I'm feeling something, what does that mean? And then from that point, you've got, okay, that's what I mean. Now, how do I communicate this to someone else? And I think that's where it comes in. I think that's where language comes in, where math comes in, where art comes in. It's all a way to communicate a feeling. And depending on what that feeling is, is depends on what medium you will choose to do that. If it's something that's best suited towards language, mathematics, or some art form. And there is like, people may dismiss it, but art forms like dancing, like painting like drawing that is a better way to communicate some feelings that are just too difficult to fit in to the structure of language the structure of maths correct i mean any uh anyone watching a movie or whatever uh you know a good portion of that movie is visual communication and uh just even the audio the sound effects the communication that gets presented through audio that isn't actually verbal communication so you know having having an orchestra sort of uh, pick the beat up and make it uh, a little bit of a thriller and then, you know, other times making it uh, very emotionally sad or something like that, just understanding those little audio cues, that uh, audio signals that we use in order for people to change their emotion. Um, so, yeah, it's all, it's all written communication. I think from my point of view as well is it's like I'm, I'm a big believer of you learn things as you need them so, and the reason I say that is because that's when you set up to best learn. There's no point, like, you're not really set up to learn when you don't actually need something. You're sort of like, oh, okay, that's great knowledge. Um, and then, you, you know, a year later you go, oh, what was it again? I need it now. So I think, like, learning as you need it and making it a little bit more holistic. So I can imagine, like, learning those traditional subjects, 
you know, maybe maybe the person's interested in sport and so they're trying to get uh, maybe they're trying to accurately f- throw. I think we've talked through this example before, but they're trying to accurately throw at a target, you know, and so understanding, you know, the motor skills to take that on, but also understanding the physics that's actually occurring so that when you do the motor physics, you can actually take that into account as you throw the ball. So you can imagine you're doing, you know, the the sport of actually trying to achieve that task physically. You're walking through some maybe some some physics and some mathematics, and then possibly a report to communicate to others how you actually achieve that. So, you know, if I threw the ball and hit the target every time, uh, how did I actually? How did I go around achieving that? What is it that I take into account in order to make that occur? And so, uh, learning how to uh, write a report about something you're interested about, and how you come derive to your solution or whatever just takes all those uh, subjects in, you know, all the learnings into account. You're learning to write, you're learning to calculate, you're learning to understand the physical world around you and things like that. So, and I think that as you learn that way, I feel that you understand things a lot more holistically rather, rather than breaking down them down into the individual parts and then figuring later in life how you actually use those things together. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point that there is so much more knowledge that we don't get out of something like sport, get out of cooking that we just take for granted. Like we focus on a specific thing. This is how you um, follow a recipe, for example. And it's like, well, there's a lot more to it there. There's like ratios in there. There's, you know, what goes together. There's chemistry in there. Did you even take that into account? Did you try and teach that? Did you try and show that? There's like communication. Oh, okay, I want this to be sweet. I want this to be savory. Why? Like throwing the, the balls an interesting one as well, like any type of sport because you have the physics there. And then if you understand a little bit about the physics, you can also use that to problem solve. Okay, I missed the target. It went too far. Maybe I should loosen up on the power like and how does that translate to movements and motor skills like there's a lot of a lot that can be learned from very small like actions that we just normally take for granted we focus in on one aspect of it and say okay this is what you're learning from it it's like you are learning that but you're also learning a whole breadth of other stuff that you know all you have to do is focus on it and then you'll unlock it yeah, you're right. Cooking cooking is another one. Uh, growing something is another one. You think about like when I grow a plant in the backyard, I've got to take the whole ecosystem into account. You know, what's the soil? Uh, you know, are the bugs going to eat my fruit? Or There's so many things. Is it being watered enough? Is the sunlight conditions right? Um, you know, there's so much packed into just it seems like a menial or simple task, but there's a lot of learnings you can get from that. And I think... Uh, that that was the one thing I found that I struggled at school. It's like I'm learning these things and I'm like, well, why? You know, I remember learning calculus in, in uh, later in high school and it's like, I don't need this. What's what's this for? I didn't really understand why it practically applied, but now I use it every day. Um, I mean, not a lot of professions wouldn't use it. I, I, I have to use the principles of, or understandings from that in order to do my work. But, you know, I think once you, once you see – uh, how it's applied and why you're doing it, and I think it cements more in your mind. You, you definitely get a, a much greater imprint on on your mind or memory than than you would by just learning it in its individual self and not really how not really understanding how that connects to other things. That's what I found a lot with mathematics. I didn't really understand it in high school. Yeah, okay, I could calculate. Like for me, it was more about money, and then 
I didn't really see anything tangible after too much tan- – oh, measuring things and building things, but I didn't see much tangible after that. So I was really good up to that point, I feel. But then when it become – you know, algebra was good because I realised, oh, yeah, I can solve things from a general point of view um, when I'm building something. Um, but after that point, it started to become very abstract and I didn't really understand how to apply it. And I think uh, that wasn't necessarily a fault of my own. It was a fault of the teaching it was like learn these rules, learn these principles, regurgitate to me, you know calculus. Great, I know calculus, but what's it going to do for me? Yeah, I, fi- I find similarly start with the practical application. That's that's when I learn best. It's like, okay, how am I applying this? What is it that I'm trying to do? And then teach me the fundamentals, the foundation, what's actually going on. Yeah, that's a lot of mathematical principles that I still have no idea how you would actually apply them that I learned. But ones that I learned that I actually use, like for example, matrices and how to um, do transformation between like um, coordinate spaces, all that kind of stuff. You don't understand necessarily what it's useful for when you see it in mathematical form. But if you like start building a video game, if you start building a motion simulator, you can see the practical application of it. And then you realize, oh, hang on, there's a lot of utility in these mathematical equations. Now I know where I can apply them. Then I'm more motivated again, going back to motivation to actually learn them and how to use them. Yeah. And I think a really good teaching method for some of those things is to get someone to actually try and solve the solution without giving them the answer first. So, and I think there's a lot of value in doing that because then they realize they need some level of knowledge that they don't actually have. So if I said to you, all right, uh, let's say you had the knowledge to be able to, you know, program that motion simulator, but you didn't have the the knowledge of um, how you do spatial cal- spatial calculations. I could say to you, okay, you know how to control the motors. You've got the controller. Solve it. You know, you should be able to move the platform and watch them scratch their head for two weeks. And so I think that it's a painful process, but it's a process which I think you get the best learning outcome because you've realized at that point in time, you've realized, oh, there's some greater level of knowledge that I actually don't have that's going to get me here. I don't have the knowledge to do that. And I think once you realize that, like I said, now you see the need in order to learn that knowledge. So that goes back to uh, teaching, you know, so learning the knowledge as you need it sort of kind of thing. And so, oh, okay, I do need this. I do want this motion platform to move. So I need this knowledge now. Okay, I'm really going to focus on on it because I know that I need it to, to come to a solution. I'd, I'd love to talk to a neuroscientist about this because even when talking about it, having that motivation gives you the focus on what you're doing. You're also going to be alert and aware, which focus and alertness I think are the two ingredients necessary to retain information. So yeah, if you're just learning something but you have no interest in it, you're not. it's unlikely you're going to be focused on it. So it's unlikely you're actually going to retain it. Whereas if you're confronted with a problem where you're motivated to solve this problem, you're inherently focusing on something. And so when you put your focus on it, you're going to learn it better. So I wonder if you could structure. And I wonder if that's why, I mean, I remember when we were, or when I was at the end of university, they started moving to more, um, what was it? Practical outcomes, more, it's less of an exam. It's more, you build something like you build a robot throughout the course. And they found that, you know, students were more engaged. They were learning a lot better. I wonder if that's part of it because they had that motivation, that focus on it. So now they were actually retaining the information they were learning in class about the underlying principles of how to build something like that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So you took like you sort of seeing the shift from doing uh, tests, which is great, to project-based 
outcomes, I think they call I forget what they call them, but it's basically changing a test into putting putting the uh, the evaluation weighting away from a test and putting it onto project-based outcomes. And I agree that uh, I think that education system didn't do that in the past because it's harder to actually evaluate. So, you know, you're, you're building a drone and this person's building, I don't know, um, a solar panel or something like that. Uh, so you have very different uh, projects and I guess – uh, being able to evaluate that's a bit harder because it's very subjective. You're not doing the same thing. I don't have a list of things that I can tick you off on and, and all the rest of it. But I think while the evaluation is more difficult, the learning outcome is much greater. And like you said, people, you know, you think about, uh, I mean, I work in engineering, so I get to see engineering students. You, you watch how motivated they are when they see something cool and it's like, okay, now, now I can. I've got. Some, I've got their attention. Now I just need to walk them through that process, and a bit walking through that process is not giving them all the information. It's giving them. It's kind of like guiding them down a path, and then supporting them when they're actually needed to support. So I have to find. I mean, I don't. I don't do any lecturing and all the rest of it, but I. I have younger people sort of help um, build things with at my work with me, and so learning you know, where they're at and just giving them a task which they don't quite have the knowledge for and then seeing how they go about it, get them to do that first attempt first. And they'll do one or two things. They'll try something and it'll fail or they'll come back and ask a very specific question. And so at that point, you know, okay, yeah, you're ready to sort of go this extra level, this next level. And then they're, they're comfortable at that stage for a while. So it's sort of like going in this level, learning that knowledge and then practice applying it. And then it's like, okay, and they give them another problem which they can't solve with that what what they've learnt, and then pushing them a little bit further and further. So, it's uh yeah, it's that controlled sort of way of getting them to discover the information, I guess. Yeah, getting them engaged and wanting to actually learn instead of trying to force something on them. I see that as the main role of a in person teacher is that they're just there when the they get stuck when the student gets stuck. It's like, okay, I'll give you the next hint to go to move on. But it's actually up to the student to prompt the teacher rather than the teacher to prompt the student. Yeah. So I did do a few tutorials. I've never really been in big lecturing and that's kind of how I structured, you know, it was, it was about programming. Um, and that's kind of how I structured it to them. I give them a problem and I say, all right, well, how are you going to solve it? Like you've got the internet there, you've got the references there. How am I going to solve it? So you know, allowing them to basically go and figure their own way of being able to do that. And then and then at some point in time, each of them are going to ask individual different things. And I think that helps it helps me learn how they're going to approach things and I can guide them in, the, in a response that suits them, I guess. So you learn as a teacher, you actually learn a lot about the student when you watch them do that rather than give them all the information. So if I give – if I teach you something and I give you all the information – I'm seeing you as the same as the next person. So I'm just basically saying, all right, I'm going to standardise the way in which I give you all the information. I've, I've given it to you now. Now you all know it. And the reality is that's not the case. So it's better off to probably allow people to learn at their own paces and learn in ways, in different ways. So like um, they'll get stuck on something. Okay, well, tell me, tell me how you went through that. I did this and that. Okay. Well, did you think about this? Oh, no, actually, yeah. Okay, so how are you going to find that information? Uh, okay, so go look it up online. And so it's walking them through the ability to learn for themselves. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, and there's something about 
giving them all the information up front, it kind of overloads them. I like your approach of, okay, when they get to a certain point, I'll give you that little bit of information that'll get you moving, that'll get you going. But if you give them everything up front, then it's up to them to pass out, okay, I don't need this information right now. I need to find what I actually need right now. And you just lose motivation. Like regardless of how motivated you are to do that, it's still a higher effort cost and more energy you have to put into it. So you're less likely to see them get as far. Before we finish up, I want to, I want to, talk about a few more things that I think we should teach in school uh, in order to master ourselves, in order to become independent. One of them is emotional regulation slash management, I'm calling it. Sometimes we, we say uh, controlling our emotions, but I think that's wrong. I think uh, we are unable to control our emotions. We're only able to manage them or regulate them. So I think that is a big part of uh, growing up in general, just maturing, becoming a adult in quotes <laughs> because uh, again back to our adult conversation if you want to know more about that but yeah having that emotional management do you think that's something that everyone should learn throughout schooling yeah it's critical i think having emotional management and self-reflecting is really what uh, I, I do think that really does determine um, there's a big step change when you actually are able to achieve that i think that that's what i'd say about it so those people that can internalize how they're feeling and to be able to understand how they should manage that uh, are in a much better situation than those that aren't even aware of uh, how they're feeling a certain way. And so, yeah. And, and like you said, you're going to go you, – you, I would agree with that. It is management or, or regulation. You don't have control over certain feelings. I mean, even now as me as a 40-year-old, there's times that I go, why, why did I feel that way or whatever and, you know – I don't think it's I don't think it's always important in justifying it like um, it's important to reflect on why you did that because there can be some learnings but sometimes you, you just there isn't a learning and that's okay so it's just you know all right well you know I'm in this I'm in this space how do I how do I best manage it and then getting yourself out of that space so and I do think you can teach that early with kids I mean I don't know a child psychologist is probably going to be much better and explain these things but from my point of view like uh kids are actually uh going through the process of realizing emotions particularly as they start going to primary school so i think uh having a heavy focus on that early on while they're actually developing those skills is probably going to put them in a very a very good position it's kind of one of those things it doesn't see i guess people probably don't see the value in doing it but it will pay off because you become a much more uh, you'll become more efficient in life once you uh, understand these things um, and you become le- – you're highly less – you're very – you're not very efficient when you don't understand how to emotionally regulate. You'll waste a lot of time on, on things that you can't uh, manage, I guess. Yeah, people who are less capable of regulating emotions are typically more reactionary, which means they're typically going to make decisions that they may not necessarily agree with or want to make if they had the ability to – internalize it think about it and then choose how they want to respond so i think a a good path or i mean this is just off the top of my head i didn't i hadn't thought about this beforehand but for learning about emotions is first off okay recognizing them understanding how that affects us so that we can choose okay i'm in a bad mood if i say something to someone now it's going to be coming from a bad place it's likely going to result in something bad do I want to allow that to get through or do I want to just say, no, I'll stay quiet. I'll be by myself until I'm out of this mood. And then also understanding ways to 
get yourself into and out of moods because we do have some type some control over it through um physiological processes but again you can't always control it. it's like sometimes you just feel lousy sometimes you just feel ecstatic you know you can't explain it it just it just happens yeah and i guess just being aware that uh, or comfortable of being able to communicate that to, to to others as well so like you know if you're in a frustrated mood and you, you want a bit of time by yourself um you know just letting people know that that's the case oh look i just need an hour at time i'm not feeling the best and I think that helps it helps society as a whole because other people don't then blame themselves for certain things. So, you know, if you don't, if we don't communicate aspects like that, then other individuals might think they had an impact, and it might not necessarily be the case. So, you know, there's a, I, I guess there's can be a lot of confusion about uh, our emotions and and others, and so communication will help clear that that uh, that issue up. I guess. That's a very good point and another benefit of actually doing this through the recommended schooling is that people will understand that. Like me and you, we, we, we understand that because we've been through that. We understand sometimes you're in a bad mood and you just, you know, you're saying things that you don't really mean. But it's not necessarily true that everyone throughout their life will realise that. Some people could get to 70, 80 years old and not realise that. So making sure that everyone, again, goes through school and then we can say, okay, it's likely that they understand this. It'll be easier for us, I think, as human beings to get along because they'll understand when someone says, you know, I'm feeling in a lousy mood, I need to take some time for myself because, you know, they've learnt about it through school. Yeah, and just understanding it's not pers- – emotion, emotions are not a persistent state and that there's a, a spectrum of emotion. So I think like when I – you know, when you grow up, uh, you know, you, I think you're always sold like uh, – you want to do what makes you happy. And it's kind of like, yeah, but that's a that's a that's not a persistent state. So there's periods in time which you can achieve happiness, uh, but you've got to realise that if you're not achieving that happiness, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that it's not a persistent state. Um, without, uh, you know, without sadness, you won't get happiness and, and vice versa. So, you know, I think understanding the spectrum of emotions and understanding that you, you're going to go through you know, you're transient, you're going to go through all those different states at different points in time, um, allows the individual to realise there's nothing wrong with them. I guess, you know, when you're a kid, someone someone that might be, there's a lot of people that are a little bit more melancholy than, than others. And I think that's okay. That's what makes really good art at times. Like good musicians can be deeply, deeply sad about certain things or really feel um, uh, strongly particular emotions. Um, and that's okay. Like you can express yourself in, in that, in that frame of mind. You don't, we don't all have to be happy, um, to, to be okay. Yeah. When you realize that the contrast is what we're actually detecting, then you even start to gain an appreciation for those lower times. It's like, okay, this is a sad time feeling a bit low now, which just means that I'm going to be happy sometime in the future. You know, you can see it in that way and in that way you can flip your emotions. (laughs) So, yeah, this too shall pass. Yeah. And you can take opportunity too. So, like, some points in time in life you're going to hit peaks. And so if you don't really understand that it's a sort of like a cyclical or like a um, a sort of fluctuating or transient way, then you're not going to actually – you might not set yourself up to make advantage of the most of that opportunity. But if you realise that, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling really good. This is a point in time that I – that's hard to get to in life. I'm going to take most advantage of it while this is actually occurring and then it's going to be over. You know, so that, that realisation that at some point it's going to be over 
allows you to take opportunity that moment. I guess it's, it's, it's sort of similar. There's an analogy when people, you know, have a life-changing disease and they say, oh, now I know what's really important in life. And it's, it's because they're now forced to actually look and, and prioritise certain things. So, yeah, just understanding um, certain points in time in life you, you can't replicate and it's to know when they're going to occur and take opportunity of that and really, yeah, take that's, advantage. That's a great point. I mean, yeah, having that awareness that, oh, okay, now I'm feeling really good. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be paying attention to everything now. And then it also gives us that, um, what would you call it, maybe confidence, that peace to let that pass. Because, yeah, you know it's it's only fleeting. You've taken full advantage of it and now you can let it pass. Like a lot of the problems we get into is that, we get to that peak and then we want to maintain that peak and that's just unsustainable. It goes against reality. So knowing that you're at the peak, appreciating it and then knowing that, okay, I can let it go. It's all right. I'll come back to another peak. It may not be as high. It may not be as long, whatever, but it'll come back. Yeah. And I think professional athletes, solo sport athletes are really uh, need to be quite good at this because you think about like a world number one tennis player, how do they continue playing once they now become ranked third or fifth or 10th? How do they still then come back and become number one again? So I think for them it's that realisation that, oh, I, I, you know, at that state I was able to achieve that. At this state I'm actually not there yet, but that's okay. I'll do these actions in order to try and get back to that state and not allow it to impact me or deflate me or to, um, you know, uh, just give up, I guess, and go, oh, I'm retiring, I can't get there again kind of thing. Yeah, and like you said, that's the importance of understanding that it's transient, that you know, you're know you in a certain state for a certain period of time, it'll come back, it'll go, and then, yeah, just making the most of it. One other one before we get going I, I really want to highlight is perspective switching. So being able to look at something, an event, and see it from multiple angles. So like see the silver lining, see the bad parts of it, just being able to see that, okay, whatever is in front of me, whatever I'm confronted with, there is all the colors of the rainbow in there. It's wherever I fo- put my focus, however I filter it down, is is going to shape like how I go moving forwards. Like, I don't know, what's a good example? You get into a car crash or something, you know, as long as, assuming you're still alive, maybe you break a few bones or something. You can say that, oh, that's lousy. You can look at it very negatively or you can look at it as, you know, oh, not necessarily, thank goodness it wasn't worse, but maybe, you know what, that's given me a, again, a renewed contrast of life. Now I know what's important. Now I can see the, the, the values and things. I was, I got into that crash because I was rushing to get a cup, cup of coffee or something. Was that really important? Did I really need to do that? You know, being able to take that step back. So it's, it's really looking at any event, no matter what it is, good or bad, and understanding that contained within that event is positive, negative, everything in between. And it's just being able to switch our perspective and choose what we focus on. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, that's also highly valuable, not only for yourself, but then to be able to empathize with others. So like, just because you've got a certain perspective in a certain way that you view the world, uh, you have to understand that other people are not going to view it the same way as you. And they've got to live in this world like you do. And so having empathy and understanding of how they perceive the world is, is highly valuable. And I guess by changing your ability to change your own perspective helps you then be very empathetic for others. And be able to sit yourself in their shoes, you know, say, okay, why is this person um, feeling this way? Or what, you know, like behaviours, why why does this person have a certain behaviour they repeat? And what you often find is it's something that they've 
been taught in the past and they don't actually realise it. It's almost like unconscious um, and we all have those little flaws. I was thinking about this like a really good image would be, you know, just every person in the world but they've got like a little dent on their head and because uh, we're all broken in some kind of way and so just realising, uh, you know, that that that's the case is is quite valuable. Even that acknowledgement, first of all, realising that the way that we see the world is based on the experiences that we've had and so then understanding that, okay, the way that someone else sees the world is based on the experiences that they had and that awareness that I may be unable to understand the, the experiences they've had so I can't say for certain like whether what they're doing is purely good, bad or whatever. It's it's just that they've been exposed to something and so trying to, yeah, helps helps us put ourselves in other people's shoes but also acknowledge that we can't put ourselves in other people's shoes because we haven't been through what they've experienced. So trying to yeah, give us, give us a, a, a different perspective on whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. Just, yeah. Different, different, different points of view. And I think also like understanding uh, that the, your emotions aren't transient allows you to understand that other people's aren't. So, you know, you can, I guess at some points in time, you're going to meet someone that doesn't like you or, or might just have uh, certain, uh flaws in their own sort of emotional regulation and understanding that yeah because every time you see them they might be annoyed or frustrated doesn't mean that that's who they are persistently so you know that person might be annoyed or frustrated when they're at school or when they're at work but then they go home and they're they're a different person so realizing that uh yeah we're all transient allows you to then understand that other people aren't stuck in an aggressive state or an upsetting state or a I don't know, whatever state that, that can be annoying for others, realising, oh, they're not. And so that then allows you to go, what are the conditions that actually set them up into different states and how do I actually have an impact on that? And, yeah, I think all this knowledge actually allows us to to um, socialise at a, a much better level. I definitely agree with that. All right, is there anything else? Obviously, there's a lot more things we could bring up in terms of, okay, this would be good to learn in order to master ourselves, but... I'm sure over time through different podcasts, through different topics that we do, we'll cover a majority of them. Is there anything else for this specific topic of schooling that you wanted to bring up? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think we've covered uh, the, the main portion of it. Um, and then, you know, if we ever felt the need, we could practically go through some of those subjects in, in the curriculum at some point in time in the future. But I think we've set the foundation of like, yeah, why maybe – school could the the way in which we run school the system of schools could be updated and and uh what what that update could look like um i think we've sort of conveyed that yeah yeah just to remind ourselves i think the main part was the access to knowledge has completely changed from when school would have been implemented to now so we have a lot more leeway in what we could do in school and then once again and i've said it a, a few times but i think it is really important to recognize that we are at the center of everything we do. We are the foundation for everything we do. So if we build that foundation, if we make ourselves stronger, better, more efficient, whatever, however you want to phrase it, that will improve everything in life, not just, you know, one specific thing. Yeah, and the last thing I would say is not only has our access to information has changed, uh, the understanding of our knowledge has also changed. And so the system, the school system uh, probably needs to figure out a better way to try and adapt that. So as, you know, like I said, I think mental illness and understanding our mindsets and all the rest of it has changed significantly. 
Now that might be progressing through to schools. I, I don't go to school, so it's it's a bit hard to tell. But I think um, the curriculum hasn't sort of changed to to a, to look at that and a, a adopt a much different approach. Yeah, let's let's factor in our improved understanding about, like you said, mental illness, or just how we learn in general, how we how we best uh, learn and retain knowledge. All right, then. My supplemental song suggestion for this week is Tech Nine's Public School featuring Chris Calico. And my quote for today is going to be, Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited to all we know and understand, while imagination embraces the entire world and all there ever will be to know and understand. That's by Albert Einstein. You may know him. You may have heard of him. Thanks for joining us for this discussion. Uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts on this topic. And as always, be well.